You're listening to the Mzanzi Wako podcast. During the first few episodes of the Mzanzi Wako podcast, we heard that none of this rich data would be possible without the people on the ground going into these communities and meeting with these adolescents living with HIV. Meet Mildred Tabeng, Kanya Makabane and Sinabongo Mbula. My name is Mildred and my role on Mzanzi Wako study is a research assistant at first. Now, currently, I'm a senior researcher assistant working on the qualitative side of Mzanziwako. My name is Kanyama Kabane and my role at Mzanziwako is a research assistant and I started with this job in 2014 doing a, as a community guide and as from then I went on to be a senior researcher with under a training of Rebecca. My name is Sine Bogombula and my role at Mzanziwako started as an research assistant and now I'm a fieldwork coordinator. I started uh, last year. Here Mildred talks to us about her journey with Mzanziwako. My journey with Mzanziwako started in 2013. I met Elona and Maria in Hamburg and they found me working in Keskama Trust, which is an NGO working with teenagers or children and families affected by HIV and AIDS. They introduced me to Beth Vale, who was busy on her PhD, and she was doing a qualitative study focusing on orphans and teenagers affected by HIVs, and the main focus was about adherence. I then worked with Beth in Hamburg for six months, then we also worked in Grahamstown for another six months, which we wanted to do a study that had an ethnographic approach, which is different location. We wanted fundings from a village point of view and from the township point of view. After the work with Beth, I then joined the quantitative research study, which was ongoing in East London, held by Elona, Maria and other managers. So they were busy doing the quantitative study, also focusing on teenagers and adherence, and the study's point was also people affected by HIV and AIDS. Then I did a bit of quantitative for a short few months until Rebecca came into the Eastern Cape and I joined a qualitative site, which we worked on sexual health protection on adolescents, and we did that study for in 2014 for uh, six months. Then from there, after working with Rebecca, I went back to Pretoria and now I came back again to Mzanzoako doing a sub-study on Hey Baby, which is currently ongoing. And now my colleague, which I worked with in 2014, will tell more about his journey, which he's joined Mzanzoako in 2014. Again, this is Kanya. So in 2014, May, I met Mildred in my community, which is Mtanzane. And we were introduced through a friend. And when I actually get to meet Mildred, she asked if I knew, I knew anyone that had understanding of the community and that was well aware of what's going on in the community and the things that were driving the youth in the community. So with that in mind, I knew that I was the person that she was looking for. So that's when I was also introduced into Mzansiwako. In Mzansiwako, I was introduced as a community guide. 
and through our field work, uh, we went to a house where after Mildred had an interview, I actually told the team what are some of the things that I observed in the house. So they, that is when they actually understood that I can be a potential research assistant. And from there onward, I was trained as a research assistant and being told the things that I should say in the interview and things that I shouldn't say in the interview. But what was most important was that I should keep the confidentiality in clause important because the anonymity of the participants were very important. And also as a community guide, it was very important for me to spot which areas were safe and which areas were not safe. And some of the duties that I had at that, at that particular time was get into a house and introduce the study the way the, that was required by the, by the research. On that year, our study was on sexual health reproduction on adolescents, and which were negative and some were positive. I think I will give it to Sina to explain more. Okay, this is Sina. Uh, and my journey in Zanzibar started in 2017, where I worked closely with Leslie, where she trained me more about uh, the qualitative side of the of the study, and we worked it together for a sub study called Ezobutota, where we were interviewing uh, boys that were HIV positive that were about to go to the to, to, to initiation. So from there, I worked closely with Leslie. Then I've now joined the new team, which is Ukanya and uh, Mildred with Urebeka. That is uh, Majin. Mildred speaks about some of the key findings from her time on the study. We learned a lot from the participants about adherence and defaulting in terms of their treatment taking. And we, from observations, we noticed that many participants were looking at healthcare facilities like a driver looking at a traffic cop, that they always portrayed this good patient image and they were always trying to not say the truth about not taking their medication. So whenever they would go to the healthcare facilities, they end up speaking all the right words and trying to act like a good patient. Similar thing that anybody would do when they see a traffic cop on the road, they will quickly put on a seatbelt and do not look like they are like a reckless driver. So my colleague will quickly also share his some of the key findings he found during 2014 working with Rebecca on sexual health reproduction in adolescents affected by HIV and AIDS. This is Kanye again on more of the key findings. We worked with young boys and girls and as as a guy that was doing that was in the study, I was asked to focus more on boys. So one key finding that we have actually discovered from boys was with the issue of STIs, a sexual transmitted infection. In particular it was drop. Drop is a well-known infection in the township which affects most boys during their, their sexual life. So with all these young boys, whenever they were to find out that they were sexually infected with this, with this virus, what they will tend to do is not go to the clinic because in the clinics they were, they were told that the healthcare facilitators, which are the nurses, were actually rude to them and they were not 
accommodating to their situation. And there were also these talks that when they get to the, fa- to the facility, they were, they were, their penises will be taken out of their pens and will be hammered uh, on, the, on the flat table so they can take out the infection. So what these boys tend to do, they would, in, instead of going to the clinics, they would drink water because it was known in the community that this was the, these were the rumors that were spread around that if you drink water when you are infected with it drop, then the, the, your blood and the whole circulation of the penis will be cleaned. And then what was most famous at that time when it comes to them, boys healing the, their penis, they would instead of going to the clinics, they would go to the traditional healers because traditional healers were not uptight as compared to the healthcare facilitators, which are the nurses. My colleague will share some of the key findings. As I was working with Ezobuto, uh, the substat of Mzanzuwako, we were focusing more on boys and uh, young men. Uh, in those uh, uh, young men and young boys, as we were interviewing them, it is not that we were wanting to know about Ulaluko, but we were trying to understand how does that period affect them in their medication taking. So the key finding is that these boys were using a, a number of techniques in, in taking their treatment. Because uh, one participant told me that uh, when uh, his time during initiation, uh, what uh, he usually did was that the Izingalati Ngalati is a boy that is used to bring food to the initiate. So this Ngalati had a phone, the phone, they put an alarm on it. So every time at seven, the Ngalati would go and remind the, the initiate so that they can go home where they will meet with the initiate's father to give him the treatment. So those were the key findings. And some were saying that they were hiding their medication under the bed that uh, they are using their true initiation so that when other initiates are not there, they would take their medication. Because what uh, we have found out is that if you are caught there in initiation taking medication, you will be called uh, less of a man or you did not finish what you went there to do. So those were, were the key findings. We asked Mildred if there were any stories that have stayed with her after her time working on the research study. I have seen how these participants survive and from defaulting and from having a very low CD4 count to adhere better taking their treatment. We once had this boy in Hamburg that his CD4 count was so low that he had he was rushed to a hospital, but he came back and coming back from that experience, he then adhered better taking his medication. And that happened because of a caregiver who was supportive. He was also quite religious. He believed in God. He was a churchgoer. So his behavior also supported him to adhere better. So from that story, it was such an experience for me to see somebody on the verge of being declared dead by the healthcare facility, then recovering from there. And now today he's somebody I still communicate with and he now about to have his own home. He just built his shack. 
he's finished his school, he's, he's planning to go to colleges, he's having a future for himself and all that is from his own resilience and support that he received from his grandmother, which is now, who is now passed away sadly, but he's still standing and he's still pushing. So that story will forever stay with me and it will forever also motivate me to keep going. This is what Mildred, Kanya and Sinibongo said about the personal challenges they faced while carrying out the research. So firstly, working on a qualitative study, it required a lot of patience, a lot of field work and appointment setting. So the first phase of a study in, in qualitative is the introduction when you go for home visits and from there is interviews. But then when you are known in the house, it's become, you tend to learn so much about the hardship of that family. You tend to see other things that um, social workers or nurses or caregivers in that community don't see as you spend so much time with the teen and their family. And it's, so, it, it, it's also emotionally draining as a RA or somebody's interviewing these teens because I remember there were times where we would find a teenager who's hungry and we have to find, like, make a plan for them or wait for them to eat or to go hustle to, to find anything to eat and to be able to talk to you. So there were very many challenges, especially poverty was one of the main challenges that came across and made it difficult for us to work because now we will, we will be present in a household where everybody is looking at you and they're telling you the sad story on how hard it is to sleep without anything in their stomach and how hard it is for even for them to go collect their treatment at clinics because they don't have money for transport. And these are people living in rural areas whereby it's far, they are living far away from clinics and others. There was this one story also in the Dimbaza areas where a boy was defaulted, not because by choice, but he, had, he, he didn't have any means to go fetch his treatment. And also they had no phone to be called by the clinic for directions. So there was so much, there was so much of misunderstanding between them and the healthcare facility and that delayed the treatment to reach him. And we were there and was able to link him with the healthcare facility to give them the right phone numbers that they had, the right address to help him adhere to his treatment. So these challenges are like the main pointers is that poverty was the main challenge that we embarked on when doing these home visits, interviews with participants. Another one was the accessibility, that clinics were far, hospitals were far, and people were finding it hard and spending so much to just go get the treatment that sometimes it becomes a choice whether to go get the treatment or to go buy a maize meal nearby the tax shop. So it was one of the challenges that we we noticed during this field work and working with our participants. And my colleagues now will tell a bit about some of the challenges they also embarked on during their research work. Most of the families that we visit for the interviews and for the home visits is that they have expectations 
and these expectations come come from the point of view that they think that we can we are people that can bring them groceries because of their situation so we overcome this problem or situation by managing those expectations when we get to a home we often bring a participant pack which is under budget of 100 rands or 50 rands depending on a particular research or what is the purpose of the visit. So we always make it a point that we tell them that we work with limited resources and what we bring to the house is only for that particular participant and we do get to the point where we extend uh, the, the participant pack depending on the situation that or maybe let's say uh, if we were supposed to meet with one participant and maybe the instance requires us to meet with the participant and the caregiver or the family member. So we, in that situation, we would extend the participant or by just bringing something more so it can accommodate everyone in the family. But all in all, we overcome these situations or these expectations by making sure that we tell them that we don't have we don't have more and as a project we don't work as an NGO because NGOs are funded to have things that they can give to to the to the participant but as a research we are there to ask for the information and it is up to them to give us the information willingly not forcing them as we are working with our different families as a qualitative side is that we get to meet uh, with different people where they will tell you different stories some are sensitive some are touching so to overcome those challenges you just need to keep strong you have to keep strong because as a person that is opening to you you have to be a good listener so that the person can be able to share their story Mildred tells us how she was able to get these young adolescents to open up to her about some of the more personal and sensitive topics. I make sure that the participants feel as comfortable as possible. And one of the things that I've used in my work experience is that I tend to also open up personally to them, especially relating to girl stuff. If we speak of period pains, I also share my story that, oh, I also had horrible period pains or I had good period pains. So I don't isolate myself in terms of general inquiries. It's like if I sit down with a girl, we do have that girl's talk and they feel comfortable. And although some see me as a big sister, but I make it possible for them to know that, you know, I know I'm also coming from a background of poverty I know certain things. So I share my life lived experience and they feel comfortable to also share their current experience and trusting me with that information. And and before, because on the first interviews or first home visit, we assure them about the privacy of our project, that we, we work on this privacy policy, that we want to expose their pictures, name, or anything that will link to them. We just wanna hear their stories. And we always say to them that it, it's, a, it's more of a platform for them to share their story, to tell us their challenges or things that are working in their lives. And we just wanna learn from them. And they tend to be eager to share 
their stories because there's just so much for them to tell sometimes and living in villages or township there's just so much noise that is going around politically wise media wise but then they just feel so special when they sit on one on one with somebody and them telling sharing their story and that's how i have seen that many of my participants that i worked with they were feeling quite special to sit down with me and share their story and tell me how it's like to live their life so for me that what made it easy to be able to talk to participant about private things and to get to get them open up to me is that they are seeing that I'm also not reserved I'm also somebody who's open although I I I I open in terms of general inquiries and I don't lead them because in term, in research work you need to leave the platform totally for them to share and but since you, if you can also show them that you know I'm also somebody who's a human being that they won't see you like a nurse or a teacher or a parent but they'll see you like a friend they'll see you like impinjiabo meaning they they are friend so it's always the key to get somebody open up and to also for them to trust you and also being a good listener so what i do again is that i always repeat what they told me from the previous interview and it always surprises them that i remembered and it also makes them feel quite special that i was actually listening and the listening skill is very essential that when you interview them refer to what the phrases they used the stories they shared because even till this today people have worked with in 24 years back i can still remember and when i meet them i always ask oh how is this and they feel like how is like this lady doesn't know me that much but she still remembers me and who i am or the things i've told her so remembering is the key skill and listening and also honestly opening up to them and listening to them with care listening to them without judgment and making them feel secured in terms in terms of or during that conversation you you will be having with them when we asked the team about some of the lessons they learned this is what they shared with us i have learned that support towards the teens who are affected by HIV was the main holder of of adherence if they are supported at home by their caregivers by their friends by the school they tend to do better adhering to their treatment taking so those who lacked support they were the ones that defaulted and those who received support were the ones that had the best adherence and they were the ones that were more ambitious and working towards their future with that support that they were getting from their families another lesson that i've learned from working in mzanzibar is that in especially the qualitative side is that you get to see the why of many questions and every day is a new day that you are always embarking on a new finding especially during community observations you you it doesn't require you to sit one on one with somebody 
but just being there, you know, being present in that, in that community. There's so much that you learn, the way people navigate, the way people speak to each other, the way they dress, the way they portray themselves. So we learn so much from that beside the interviews that the way they, in people are behaving in the community spoke a lot. And when you sit down with them, you tend to understand them. You tend to also use the language they understand when you interview them. So the lessons I, le- will, I learned personally is through community observations that I learned on how to approach the teenagers, on how to salute them, like greet them, and that made them have interest in you as a person when you greet them in a way that will be greeted in the street or shake their hand in a way that they shake on the street. So the community observations gave me personally many skills that helped me during interviews to be able to speak the same language in the community, to have the same body movement or how like the way you hold yourself as a person in their community to be part of them. So the observations through communities observation were the best lessons for me to be able to get information from interviews. So Mzantsiwako project is a research project that focuses mainly on young kids age 10 up to 19. So as a research assistant, it was v- it's very important for me to, to get these stories. And when I tell these stories, it was very important that I tell their story very authentically. What I mean by this is that it is very important for me to tell the story, not in my voice, but in their voice. Because Mzanzuwako has given uh, the youth a platform to share their stories. And by sharing these stories, they, they insist on that they should share their stories in the best way that they feel is possible. Best lesson uh, for me personally is that uh, before I came to Mzanzuwako, I did not have any knowledge about uh, HIV. And uh, ever since I joined the study, I now have knowledge what's happening about HIV. And also with the sub-study that I've worked for as a daughter is that uh, seeing these boys going to initiation that are HIV positive, where it is difficult for them to take uh, their medication during that whole process. So I think now I have a clear understanding why these boys are having difficulties there because if uh, they are being caught or seen taking this medica- medication, they will be called names. But I think it's something that uh, we need as a community. We need to change because um, any medication that is for chronic, I think it should be allowed there because what uh, brings pressure to these boys is that uh, they want uh, to be seen like others, like they want to be called. So. What I learned is that we should give these guys, whoever was taking chronic medication during the initiation, they should go with their medication there. So I have no, I am no longer judging the guys that are taking medication during initiation. I think it's a good thing. That's what I learned. And to wrap up, what were some of the main successes of the Mzanziwako study? 
There has been many publications about our study, presentations also, and Mzanzuwak was able to do loads and loads of interviews in the Eastern Cape, from rurals to townships, and giving a platform to, to these young people to have a voice and to share their voice with people that are important, like the government, people that can bring change in our communities. And Ilona, Lucy, and Rebecca, our managers, are also the ones that are being busy with influencing policies with our work that we do in Zanzuwako. Like they have been involved in healthcare policies and sharing our, the findings from Zanzuwako, and that helped our government to make policies that accommodate the youth as they have taken their story and shared with the government and that helped the government to make policies that accommodates the youth of uh, the Eastern Cape and also of South Africa. So the main also success is that the record keeping of Mzansawako that they are able to retrieve back to all participants, teenagers uh, that they have worked with before back then and they are able to follow up on them. And they don't, they don't just do once off and forget about them. They return, make return visits if necessary, especially if the teenager is still under eligible age. Then there's just the work itself. It's more often like a platform that is thrown into the community for teenagers to have a voice. And Mzanziwako is that place or the platform also to share teenagers' voice and their stories and through that so many things also are promising to come and change in our communities for better especially in terms of uh, treatment and ART treatment and healthcare involvement in our communities make sure you listen to the next installment where we'll speak to more members from Mzanziwako